Welcome to the UALC podcast. This is Andrea Taphorn, and I'm here with Brody Taphorn. I'm Brody Taphorn. I'm Andrea's husband, and we work for Upper Arlington Lutheran Church. And we are here today to talk about moms. We are on the cusp of Mother's Day, and we felt like this is a really important topic to share some stories about how moms um, end up really being quite a reflection in many of our lives of who God is and his faithfulness and love to us. Yeah, I am very grateful for my mom and uh, enjoy celebrating her on Mother's Day. This is going to be a particularly difficult Mother's Day to celebrate my mom because we've been in quarantine. And uh, I think of almost every day of my uh, life, as far back as I can remember, every time I have seen my mom, I've usually kissed and hugged her as I have greeted her. And then whenever I leave her presence, I always kiss and hug my mom. And she, of course, has to tell me to be careful. And that probably has kept me alive uh, all you, these years. <laughs> yes. The be careful is a very important part of your mom's interactions with but you. But these, these last two months that we have been in the stay-at-home order, I have not even been able to touch my mom. And as Andrea and I were talking about it this week, like that has been so heavy for me that uh, I just long to hug my mom and tell her that I love her. And and uh, this uh, Mother's Day is, is, is going to be a tough one. Yeah. I have been thinking a lot about my mom as well. Um, so in this time of quarantine, I've actually been reflecting back. This isn't my first quarantine, folks. I actually got uh, quarantined when I was in high school on a missions trip. I was 17 years old in 1994. And I uh, went to a, an orphanage and unfortunately got the mumps that was spreading around that orphanage. And the uh, folks that I was with were quite concerned, and so was I, that I had gotten this because, of course, I had gotten my shots. And they ended up quarantining me for a while. Yeah, you were in Albania yes. at an orphanage I was in on Albania. a missions trip. And for six weeks. And... It's just been interesting how much I've been reflecting back to that time and thinking about how important my relationship with my mom was, because that was the one thing that I kept thinking about was, uh, you know, remind yourself, 1994, there's no internet, there was no emailing, there's no texting. Really, um, the one communication that my parents got, I think my trip leader went to the one phone that she knew she could go to in the middle of the city to make an international phone call to relay a message that I was a little bit sick, but that we were doing okay. And so that was the only thing that they knew, and I knew that that's what they knew, and that actually made me a little bit more afraid. Because I felt like, gosh. Because you were not just a little bit sick. You were all the way sick. (laughs) I could not even open my mouth enough to get a toothbrush in it because my, um, I was so swollen from the mumps. And for two weeks, you had no visitors. You were alone in a room with just Albanian nurses to bring you food. Yes, to bring me food. And I had a Bible with me. I had six letters that my family had written me, and I think several of them were for my mom, that I actually rationed out. I would only let myself open one a week because they were so precious to me. It was like the lifeblood of encouragement and connection um, to home. 
And uh, I've also been thinking back to those times. Like I spent my day, I would kind of like portion it out and I would think about songs my mom would sing me when Mm -hmm. I was a tiny little girl. And I would sing them to myself. I remembered the prayers that she would pray over me at bedtime. And here I am, a 17-year-old, kind of remembering those and picturing my mom praying those prayers for me. And it was quite a special, uh, like kind of transformational time for me to feel connected to Jesus through imagining my mother's love. And this is a particularly difficult Mother's Day for you as well, because why don't you tell me yeah. about where your mom is now? And So now here's 2020, and here we are in another time of quarantine, but instead of me being, certainly I have some social isolation, but my mom is in a memory care unit in an assisted living where we cannot visit her. And... I have to say the thing that I have been reflecting on the most is remembering those moments in that bunk bed, in that room all by myself and thinking about how Jesus ministered to my heart. I have been praying that for my mom, that God would meet her right now in the ways that he met me um, because I know he can. And so I, I just have thought and prayed that a lot for her because we, oh, our hearts ache that we cannot be together. Yeah. You know, Andrea shared this week, we had an altogether different plan for our podcast this week. And then she said, I think I was on Tuesday, you know what, let's do a Mother's Day uh, podcast. And I I was thinking that the Bible uh, and the life of Jesus are famous for as masculine examples and metaphors for the description of God. I mean, Jesus is a man. Jesus ca- calls upon God as his father. It's a primary metaphor used to describe God. However, masculine metaphors for describing God are not the only ones used in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so both male and female are made in the image of God. God has all the characteristics of masculinity and femininity. And it gets expressed in the scriptures as the Bible or Jesus describes God's self to God's people uh, with both masculine and feminine uh, characteristics. One of my favorite passages of scripture in the scriptures uh, is Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49:15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. This was a uh, a way for uh, the prophet to describe God's love for God's people, uh, like a mother who nurses a child. And it's just inconceivable that somebody would not love the child uh, at their breast. And that is how God feels towards God's people. Uh, again, one of the best examples of God using motherly image to describe uh, how he feels towards his people is when Jesus says to, in Luke thirteen thirty four. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So strength, protection, care, sacrifice, all of these the biblical authors draw on to describe how God feels towards God's people. And with Mother's Day coming this weekend, we wanted to talk about the mothering love of God and how that gets expressed 
via our own mothers and how mothers everywhere have been the means that many of us have come to understand the love of God. And both your mother and my mother have been shining examples of this in our lives. You know, they sure have. And I love that, what you just said, where God can has not forgotten us. And at this, as you head into this weekend, I want you to be thinking about um, maybe how God has is caring for you in this time. And we have a conversation that we wanted to share with you with uh, Karen Burkhart. Karen Burkhart is a singer. She's a songwriter. She's a worship leader. She's a wife to Matt and a mom to Tyler and Colson. And Karen is Canadian. And we are going to hear a little bit about that in her story. And she has just a remarkable mother named Lorraine Isabel Cave. And let's listen in as Karen shares a little bit of God's faithfulness to her through the story of her mom. So Karen, I think your story is a story that will really help people this weekend as we're heading into Mother's Day weekend. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your mom and just the recent path that you guys have taken together. Tell us a little bit about um, who she was. and um... Sure. Uh, it'd be my privilege to share a little bit about my mom. Um, my mom was... Um, was a prayer warrior first and foremost. Um, she was a woman who just really loved people, cared for people, and was always quick to pray pray with people whenever she had the opportunity. Um, she really um, began her personal relationship with Christ when she was it was in 1977. Um, so she would have been about 37, 38 years old at that time, and. Um, you know, her her walk with the Lord really began uh, at that time, and it was a lifelong journey for her going forward, uh, where she was very committed and dedicated to the Lord, uh, to the Word, and to sharing the gospel and the good news with other people. And so um, one of my favorite memories of my mom is um, just her taking the time to pray with people. Um, I just, that was just that was a defining characteristic of my mom. She was somebody who would listen to people and care for them and pray with them. Um, So that's um, just something that I really cherish about her and know that many people have benefited from that quality in my mom. Mm. Yeah. And she got sick about maybe three years ago. Is that right, Karen? That's, that's right. About three years ago, um, our family met my parents up in Niagara Falls. It was a good halfway point for us. My parents um, lived in Quebec, and, um, and so we met there for spring break, and it was at that time my mom told me that uh, she had been diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. Um, and when you think of cirrhosis of the liver, a lot of times people think about alcoholism, um, but that wasn't my mom's story at all. Um, she, she hardly ever even drank a, a glass of wine. Um, and so it was really of unknown origin. And to this day, we don't know why uh, she developed that condition. But uh, we were told it was mild and that, you know, she could still have a lot of years left. Um, 
And so, you know, that's kind of what we were hoping for and, you know, envisioned that maybe she'd have, you know, another 10 or 15 years uh, left to live. But uh, it turned out to uh, progress more rapidly than anyone really expected. And uh, she did uh, finally succumb to that on April the 15th um, at her home in Shawville, Quebec. Wow. You said that you kind of recognized some things about your mom. Was it in late March? Tell us a little bit about how that unfolded when you kind of saw her and recognized something is really different. Right. I mean, over the the last number of months, um, I would get some messages from my dad, a text or an email or something, and and he would comment about um, just her frailty and how she seemed to be sleeping more and um, just declining. And uh, when I had seen her in November, um, I was trying to encourage her t- uh, to maybe get out and go with my dad on drives and um, you know, try to address the mobility challenges with a, with a wheelchair or something like that. And, and she, she told me, you know, I'm, I'm really just content to stay here. Um, and that was when I kind of recognized that, okay, there's, there's more going on here. Um, it's not just a mobility issue now. It's, it's really a, a, just a decline in her energy level. And, um, but in March, uh, I was t- chatting with her on the phone, and I was noticing some changes in her voice that it just she was kind of slurring her words a little bit and slowing down in her speech. And um, when the when the the virus and the um, restrictions kind of came into into play, I thought you know this was a great opportunity to try to video call my parents again. You know we had tried that before. We've been uh, living apart for you know 19 years at this point. Um, and so I thought, well, let's try this again. We had tried before, and we'd always seem to have technical difficulties, and we finally just resorted to just the old-fashioned phone. But at this time, I thought, let's try this again, and, and so we did, and we connected through Messenger. And when I um, saw my mom um, on, the, on the video at that point, I noticed that through our conversation, she was hardly able to keep her eyes open. Um, and the, my kids saw her, and my husband saw her, and everybody just noted, like, this isn't good. She's, she's really declining. Um, and so as a result of just having that face-to-face through Messenger, um, I just realized that, you know, we, we need to get a doctor in to see her. Um, and so I was able to reach her doctor and the doctor was brand new to my mom. My mom had had some doctor issues in the past, and um, she got a new doctor and had only seen this doctor one time. And so I had no experience, no, no expectation really for the kind of doctor she would be. But I reached out to her, and she readily said that she would um, be glad to come for a home visit and to evaluate my mom. Now, she had just seen my mom a month earlier so this was sooner than she expected to have to see her but she came and she evaluated my mom and 
my sister and I were able to watch that on video and interact with the doctor. Um, and that was April the 2nd. Um, and we were just really shocked. The doctor confirmed what I had been suspicious of. Um, and when my mom wasn't listening, she said that my mom would have days to weeks left to live. Um, and, you know, given the state of the pandemic, um, even though they were, they're literally a two-minute walk from their hospital, um, we knew that if my mom went to the hospital, you know, we would be restricted and, and not able to be there. Um, and so we confirmed with my mom that her goal and desire would be to spend her remaining days at home. And uh, she, she said that's what she wanted and, and that's what we all wanted because we just didn't want to be separated. Um, so then, of course, you know, if you think about the situation at my home at that point, you know, I've got two kids who are now being schooled at home and uh, a husband working from home and um, kind of these new new circumstances. Um, and I, I was somewhat aware of the restrictions of, you know, what was going on in Canada. And I put it out on Facebook. I said, you know, does anybody know, like, would I be able to cross the border? I'm, I'm Canadian. I have a Canadian passport. Would I be able to? And um, many people, you know, were quick to share with me that Canada was requiring a 14-day isolation for anybody crossing the border. And I think most people were, were interpreted that, that that meant that I needed to find some place alone in a hotel or, you know, something by myself for 14 days. And and of course, I didn't think my mom had 14 days, um, and so I did make a phone call to the to the border, and they assured me that under these circumstances, that it would be okay if I isolated with my parents. So um, that's what I planned on doing, and that's what I did. Um, so I left just a few days after that, and went up, not knowing how many days I would be there. Um, and that was, you know, definitely, um, you know, a, a kind of a scary time because I just, I didn't, I didn't know and I, I didn't want to leave. I, I thought, when am I going to feel okay to leave? Like, I, I just couldn't imagine what those circumstances would, would be like. But I was able to cross the border and, of course, had to isolate uh, with my parents in their apartment. So. Wow. So how many hours drive is that for you? kind of traversing in the middle of COVID and yeah well traffic was light <laughs> so that was helpful um it it was about 12 hours about a 12 okay. hour drive and um I I yeah I just managed to just stop for gas and uh, I had packed food and wow so. so you told me a little bit about how you had kind of thought about this moment a little bit in your life being so far away you said 19 years mm -hmm. of being away from your mom or in close proximity to living life near her. Um, tell me a little bit about that, that you had some thoughts about these end days and what that might look like being so far away for so long. Right. Well, you know, it's a conversation that Matt and I have had periodically over the years, you know, as we contemplate, um, you know, our parents aging and all of that. And we, uh, we were out for a walk on this particular day. And this, this was before, um, before the 
pandemic. It was, you know, when we were aware that my mom wasn't doing as well, but certainly hadn't envisioned how, you know, how quickly it would happen. But I just uh, said to Matt and just expressed my heart's desire that, you know, if I could just be there, I, I would just really like to be there uh, when she finally passes. Um, I didn't want to live with that regret of not having been there. And I wanted to be able to care for my mom and make sure that I had a chance to say to her face-to-face anything that needed to be said. And so we prayed about that together. And, um, you know, it was definitely a prayer of faith because we knew there was no way (laughs) in a million years I could predict and anticipate, you know, how to get there, how to be there at just the right moment. Um, It just seemed kind of impossible, but I nevertheless, you know, prayed that that God would make make a way for that, and uh, He was definitely <laughs> faithful to do that, because I was I went up there, and um, I believe it was um, about ten days after I arrived that my mom uh, did take her final breath, and um, God was so gracious to me um, that I I got to be there talking right in her ear when she took her last breath. Um, You know, that night, we, we fully expected that that would be the night she would, she would go. Um, And my brother-in-law was there um, helping with the night shift because I I just physically couldn't do um, everything that needed to be done. And so he was, uh, he was there helping. And uh, he had kind of stayed up and I, I went to to, to sleep for a little bit. Um, by this point, we were both pretty exhausted. Well, all of us were exhausted. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go and get a little bit of a rest. And, and I got up about 2.15 to check on things and check on my mom. And I um, gave, gave my brother-in-law the opportunity to just go sit down for a bit and uh, rest his own eyes and everything. And it was um, about 45 minutes later that my mom took her last breath, and I was standing with her and talking to her and, um, and just, you know, giving her the, the freedom and the permission to, um, to answer the call to go home, you know. Uh, she had told me one time, uh, at least one time, uh, you know, Jesus was knocking and I was like, yeah, and it's okay. It's okay to answer. It's okay to go. Um, so, yeah, I just, in hindsight, just can't believe, um, you know, how God orchestrated that. Um, and not only that, before I went there, uh, I did make a call to the funeral home. I wanted to understand what was even possible and all of that. And, uh, you know, I was told that funerals at that time could only have 10 people in attendance. And um, furthermore, we wouldn't be able to do a burial until the 1st of May. Um, If you consider that this is in Quebec, Canada, the ground is frozen. um, So typically, burials can't happen until the beginning of May. So we were kind of anticipating, well, what would that look like? How, you know, how do we have a small service and then come back later for a burial? What, you know, what would this look like? It was just getting really complicated. 
Um, but the morning that she passed, the funeral director came to our my parents' home and uh, said, yes, you know, we can only have 10 people at the service, but that they had been given the green light to do burials. Um, so it was two weeks early, and uh, so we were able to go ahead and have the service uh, two days after and uh, buried her on the same day. And so that was a detail that, um, that God worked out, um, and we were very thankful for that. Yeah. I find that so remarkable that from the beginning, like in the middle of a global pandemic where there's so much isolation and opportunity for you not to have this story unfold the way it did. Mm-hmm, for and sure. hear from something like FaceTime to see your mom and then see, oh my, things have changed to then being able to get up to Canada, you know, mm-hmm. to traverse that far at, under what, you know, maybe years from now we will look back and think, oh, that doesn't feel like that big of a deal. But right now that's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And then um, to be there for those moments for your mom as she took those last breaths. I just feel like what a tender, loving Jesus, what a loving um, God we have mm-hmm. that would care for your family so specifically in this time. Tell us a little bit about the day that your mom died. You went out on a walk. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, in the last week of my mom's life, um, you know, she was suffering from, um, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but encephalopathy um, is where the toxins build up in her brain. And so there was a lot of confusion and, and um, things. Um, and my mom would kind of repeatedly talk about, I just need to go lay down. She'd say, I just need to go lay down. And, um, you know, in this, every time she'd say that, she was already laying down. She was, you know, in her bed, and I would remind her, say, Mom, you are laying down, you know, um, and, uh, but she kept repeating it. And one time when she said it, I just, my mind went to uh, the 23rd Psalm, you know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And, you know, I had this passing thought that, you know, maybe this was more of an expression of the longing of her heart for eternity, you know, to, to lay down in green pastures and uh, just to be done with this life, <laughs> to, to put the burdens and the struggles of life aside and just be done and lie down in green pastures. And uh, so with that framework, you know, I was, um, I went for a walk and uh as I was coming back toward my parents' uh, apartment, I, I looked up and I saw in perfect formation <laughs> clouds in the shape of a woman laying down, um, laying on her back <laughs> with a pillow under the knees, just, you know, like my mom had, uh, she had favored that position. Um, her hairstyle, her pointy nose on the profile. I mean, the details were just remarkable to me. And, uh, you know, it was just so touching. I looked up and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me that you gave me this just really beautiful picture and comfort and reminder that she's lying down in green pastures right now. And, you know, her, her journey on this, uh, in this life is over but 
um, she gets to be with her Savior. She gets to be there for all eternity. And, um, you know, she gets to just know that she's finished her, her race and she's, she's done. And so it was, it was a comfort um, to me. You know, I typically would walk with my, uh, with my phone, and, uh, but I didn't. <laughs> that day, I wasn't walking with my phone, and I wished that I could take a picture of it. But I later thought, you know, I wonder if I might have missed it <laughs> if I had my phone. <laughs> you know, if maybe I would have been looking down or texting someone or something like that. And, um, but instead, I looked up, and I, you know, I was able to, to see God's little gift of comfort yeah. and, and grace to me. Very, very beautiful. Well, as we end this time, I just wanted to say your mom's name, Lorraine Isabel Cave, born in 1939 and died on April 15th, 2020. Yes. We're so thankful for what a beautiful story. It sounds like her life was and has poured that love of Jesus and love of family into you and to your family. So blessings this Mother's Day. And as we end this conversation, tell us a little bit about what your family's doing this Sunday. Sure. Well, um, one of the things that my we'll always remember my mom for is she she was a farm girl and uh, she was raised with um, five brothers and a sister, um, and she could cook a mean roast beef dinner complete with the mashed potatoes and carrots, coleslaw, um, Yorkshire pudding, which is kind of a Canadian thing, um, and apple pie, and uh, that was a pretty typical Sunday dinner at our home. And so I thought, let's, let's go ahead and prepare that meal. And I've asked my sister to do the same. So my sister um, is in Quebec, and my dad is back there now. He spent a couple weeks with us here, but he's back there now. And um, so I'm hoping that, you know, they'll um, have that roast beef dinner, and we can share that together over um, FaceTime or uh, Messenger or something like that, and uh, just kind of try to be together as best as we can and remember my mom and you know hopefully at this point you know we'll all be comfortable more comfortable sharing some of the the funny stories and things like that um some of the the more joyous occasions of my mom's life yeah blessings to your family this sunday and i i know your mom will be with you in spirit as you eat that meal and share and hopefully laughter and maybe some tears and and joy yeah Thanks for sharing that with us today. Thanks so much, Andrea. So thankful for Karen and for her willingness to share her story, not only hers, but the story of her family and the story of her mom. And as Karen was leaving um, our conversation, she shared another story with Brody and I that we thought we would share with you now. And that is that some time ago, Karen's mom had a tree planted at her sister's property up in Canada. And Karen had a plaque made for her sister. And she had an image of that tree that her mother had planted and had it engraved on the plaque and with that, a Bible verse. And this Bible verse is going to be the benediction to this Mother's Day podcast episode. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and she who wins souls is wise. Again, special thanks to Karen Burkhart 
sharing her story with us today. Also, thanks to Steve Gill, our sound engineer. And we wanted to wish all the mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day. <laughs>